I'm so thankful for Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for what He's done for me. I'm thankful for what He's done for you. You know, it's amazing when we, when we recognize uh, Christ in other people's lives. You know, we can see how He is working and how they are serving and how they are being transformed uh, day by day. Um, we are going to be in Galatians chapter 2, and um, we're going to be talking about transforming faith. And um, Galatians chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. And um, we've been talking about, um, we've been in the second chapter of Galatians for a little while. And we're going to finish up probably this next week. Um, but I want to share with you, when I talk about justification, it's a big word. But I want to share something with you real quickly. Justification, when we talk about that, means in the Bible, it means to be to be declared righteous by God. Okay? When you ask somebody today to justify themselves, we usually start making up excuses for why we've done something. And so when I refer to the term justification or to be justified, I'm talking about God declaring us righteous because of what Christ has done on the cross for us. Okay? I don't want there to be any confusion with that. I'm talking about being declared righteous by God because of what Christ has done. See, this great theme of, of justification, it, by faith, it permeates through the, the teaching of Scripture. And throughout the, the Word of God, we find sinful people trying in vain to attain righteousness through their own efforts. People do that all the time today. You know, if the good outweighs the bad... You know, what are you going to do? How are you going to give an account of your actions before Almighty God? Because Scripture, the Word of God, tells us that one day we will each give an account. And I think that's important because sometimes we think that, well, if we don't have to pay the penalty right now, today, then we got away with it. But folks, that's not the case. That's not the case. We need to understand that. You see... Because we all sin, all people are accountable to their Creator, Almighty God, as sinners. Every one of us. I'm included in that when I say every one of us. We're accountable to God for our sin. Even those who pursue righteousness through the works of the law are, are still held accountable as sinners. And why does God do this? I mean, we think about God and, and his, his glory. We think about His holiness. Why does God do this? But listen, you can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You can't do it. It's impossible. God will not allow that. It's impossible for us because of our righteousness to, to stand declared righteous in front of an almighty, holy God. We cannot do that. And because we cannot do that, it means that, that we are all sinners, we cannot save ourselves, and that we need to be saved. And in order for us to be saved, we have to have a Savior. That Savior is Jesus Christ. He's the one. He's the one who gave it all for us. And, the, and, and with the Savior being Christ, His salvation that we received through faith was a free gift. He paid the price so you don't have to. 
You can work, you can do all of the things you think that you need to be doing, but the bottom line is, is salvation is a free gift from God. It'll cost you everything to serve Him. He wants full surrender, but it's a free gift. And we receive it freely, just like Peter did, and just like Paul did, and just like I have, and just like you have, if you've made Jesus your Lord and Savior. See, but that's grace. It's free. Hmm. But free grace to the natural person, to the unbelieving person, is like messing with a grizzly bear. There's going to be some objections that fly. Think about it. I'm a good old Joe, you know. I'm, I do what I'm supposed to do. I pay my taxes. I, I don't beat on my wife. I, I do my things that I'm supposed to do. So, so I'm a good guy. I deserve heaven. See, when you talk about grace and the fact that Jesus Christ paid for that and it's a free gift, people don't like that. What can I do? How can I earn it? How can I, how, what can I do about that? And, and Paul, uh, he, he, there's, there's strong objections to grace by faith. And, and, and he, uh, he answers that in chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. I'm going to read those in just a moment. And, and he answers the objection that has most raised him on the subject of grace. Which is the wrong idea that somehow if you receive grace and you don't uphold the law, <laughs> that grace promotes sin. That's the, the, what Paul is addressing here. I mean, it might be like this. Paul, if, if we say that, uh, if we are saved without the law, if you take the law away, then we'll be lawless and we'll behave like lawless people. You need to recognize something. Paul hasn't shifted. He hasn't shifted his theme in, in these verses. He's still addressing the Galatians who have fallen prey to a group called the Judaizers, this dangerous teaching that told them that they had to stick with the, the old traditions, the, the law of Moses, in addition to receiving Christ as their Savior. And it was Christ plus the law equals salvation. And Paul is saying, that's not right. It is Christ and Christ alone. Once grace comes in, once grace comes in, we become dead to the law. It doesn't mean that the law dies. It means we become dead to the law because we are in Christ Jesus. This is huge. Because Paul builds his argument by using these attacks on his grace alone, faith alone teaching, and he proves that faith in Christ not only justifies the sinner, you ready for this? But it also transforms that life. That sinner is not only declared righteous before God, but the life that that person leads is now being transformed. Hallelujah. God doesn't leave us where he finds us. He takes care of us and He grows us. We grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord. And it's so wonderful because we recognize where we came from and we don't ever want to go back there. Folks, I don't ever want to go back there. I mean, does faith in Christ alone, by grace alone, lead to greater sinfulness? 
See, there's a confusion about grace. And grace is confusing to a natural person, a person that is unbelieving, because it, it declares, grace declares that a sinner has nothing to offer a holy God. Nothing. There's nothing that you have as a sinner that you can say, I want to give this to you, God, and you give me your grace. There's no exchange. It's all coming from Him. It's important that we understand that. Incidentally, these verses could probably be interpreted several different ways, but I want to give you the way that I lean on the most. Okay? Um, verse 17, let's read there, uh, chapter 2 of Galatians, verse 17 and following, it says, But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I once have excuse me, for if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. This is important. Now watch this. You see the word we there in verse 17. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves, okay? The word we is the same as in the verse 15 that, that precedes it. And he's talking about Jewish Christians. Those who were of the law and accepted Christ, they've now died to the law. And he's saying if we, as Jewish Christians, um, if we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? So if we Jewish Christians seek to be justified by Christ, declared righteous by God, okay, through Christ, and if we buy this whole idea of grace salvation, right, that's fine. But we ourselves have also been found sinners. And if this sounds confusing to you, it's okay. It's okay. Because fog is one step above ignorance. Okay? So if we're being confused by it, it means we're grasping a little bit of it. Okay? So what he's saying here is he's saying if we Jewish Christians seek to be justified by Christ, and if we buy this whole idea of grace salvation, if we ourselves have been found sinners, does that mean Christ is a minister of sin? Here's what, he, here's what he's saying. If the Judaizers, the people who came in and began to influence these new Christians... If they, if they came in and demanded that we keep the law. Now listen. And demanding that we can't really be saved apart from our works. If they are demanding that and draw us into that, then in effect what we did prior would be sin. Now this is good. In other words... While we were enjoying our liberty, do you remember what happened? And what the, the whole occasion that Paul is talking to Peter? 
Peter went up to Antioch and he was eating with Gentile Christians. People who had no relationship to the law of Moses. They accepted Christ as their Savior. They were born again and, and he's, he's fellowshipping and eating with them. And then some people from Jerusalem come and they said, Why are you being a Jew eating with Gentiles? They have no relationship with them. And so what Paul is saying to him is, If you were eating with them and you were fellowshipping with them and you were enjoying your liberty and were sinning, before these people got here and straightened us out. And then he drops the Moab, the mother of all bombs. He drops the Moab here. He says, is Christ then a minister of sin? <laughs> what? What are you talking about, Paul? I mean, why does he throw that in? But listen, this is important because he says, who was it that taught them to be one? Who was it that taught them they were one body in Christ? Who was it that taught them that, that they are all part of the body of Christ? You see, Christ himself said we ought to be one even as he and the Father are one. Folks, you know what that tells me? I know that our country is is divided with, with racism and stuff like that. But I want you to know something. That is a lie from the pits of hell. Because in Christ we are all one. Every single one of us belongs to the body of Christ. And the gospel is for all people, for all time, in every situation. And in God's view, there is no difference. Oh, we make distinctions, but they're not right. They're not scriptural. They're not biblical. Folks, we need, to, we need to recognize this, that Christ is the one who taught that we are all one in him. That's what Paul is telling him. I mean, did Christ then lead us into the sin of eating with other people? These, these Gentile Christians? Because if the Judaizers are right, Jesus did teach that. If the Judaizers are right, and Jesus ate with sinners, then he must be a minister of sin. Boy, that's a potent argument. Jesus, the one who taught us how to live, promoted sin. And the Judaizers have not only straightened us out, they came and straightened Jesus out too. I mean, Jesus has become the, the, the uh, Hamartia Diaconus, the, the minister of sin. What a blasphemous statement. And I'm telling you, can you imagine Peter's, Peter's face when Paul is saying this? He's probably gritting his teeth and saying, Oh, how could this be? How could I have fallen for this? You see, Jesus taught that it's not what enters a man that defiles him, but what comes out. He said... We are taught that all things are clean and he taught that you could be saved simply by coming to him. He taught that. Jesus Christ taught that. And when you obeyed him and you ate with the Gentiles and accepted the Gentiles and accepted a free grace salvation, you accepted faith as the only way and that was fine. You were obeying Christ. But Peter, if you say that the Judaizers are right, then that must mean that Christ is wrong. 
If they say eating with the Gentiles is sin, then Christ made you sin. Therefore, he's a minister of sin. I don't know about you, but just even saying that phrase makes me swallow hard. Because that's pretty serious. And in fact, Paul would say, when Christ taught you grace, (laughs) he made you a greater sinner than you were before. Because we didn't know about grace. Until we heard the gospel. And then we realized what a sinner we are. So Paul's answer to this is he says, he says, God forbid. And really in the Greek, it's like saying a thousand times no. It's like saying, absolutely not. It's like saying, heck to the no. No. He is not a minister of sin. You see, as soon as a person teaches that justification is by grace through faith in Christ, apart from any human works, the objections begin to fly. Anyone knows that after a person is justified, after they've been declared righteous by God, that person still sins. We see that. We recognize that. If a person can be saved saved apart from the law, is he being discouraged from doing good works? No. If a person is saved by faith in Christ alone, is Christ discouraging people from keeping the the moral law which God commanded that we keep? We recognize this. Somebody had the foresight to put the Ten Commandments out here in front of our property, out by our church sign, as a reminder that this is God's moral law. We must keep these commandments. (laughs) So... If people are justified by grace and they're eternally secure in Christ, does that mean now they can live however they want to live? I mean, does does justifying, does justification make a person against the law or to have no restraints? I mean, the last time I checked, part of the fruit of the Spirit is self control. To me, it's, it, I look at this and, you know, the answer is Christ cannot be a minister of sin. Paul makes that plea and he, he replies by saying, um, God forbid, absolutely not. You see, here's, here's where the rub comes. Because the thought of a Christian making a habit of sinning after he's been declared righteous is repulsive to the Apostle Paul. Why would you continue in sin if you've been made righteous, declared righteous by Almighty God? Once you're in Christ, why would you continue in that path? See, justification by faith in Christ never causes a person to become without restraints in their living. Nor does it make them someone who's against the moral law. See, Paul corrects this error of the Judaizers who thought it was sinful that Gentile Christians did not keep the ceremonial laws. They're pointing and saying they're not keeping the laws, and so they're breaking the law. They're not not real Christians, but the real sin here, the real sin is denying the sufficiency of the work of Christ on the cross to justify sinners. 
If they're saying you have to add keeping the law to Christ's death, then that means that Christ's death was insufficient for our sin. See, the real transgression is sticking to the law for our justification. And Paul is saying, if, if by, by what you're doing, you certainly aren't making Christ a minister of sin. <laughs> Rather, what you're doing is you're declaring yourself a sinner. <laughs> and your sin is the sin of hypocrisy and legalism. I mean... He uses the word I there to kind of soften it a bit. In verse 18 he says, For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Paul says, I can't go back. I can't do what I used to do. Now listen, Paul was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He kept all those laws. He, he probably had a logbook of, of laws that he kept every day. Because he was, he was right up there. And the thing is, is it's like he counted all of that as trash, all of that as garbage compared to having Christ. And he says, if, if I go back, I, I, I become a worse transgressor. He says, I cannot deny the sufficiency of what Christ has done. I can't go back. I can't do the things I used to do because I have Christ in me. I died with him. See, the most miserable person in the world is the one who has understood the grace of God. Who has received that grace in Christ and have, has embraced Christ in faith. And then along the course has begun to question if Jesus Christ is really sufficient for their justification. Can Christ really do what I'm asking him to do? He bled out. He died for us. And while this verse may be difficult to interpret, I believe that it's speaking about a person's responsibility for sin. I believe that Paul is saying here that if after justification a person still sins, it's the Christian's fault, not Christ's. The responsibility for our sin lies with us. You see, a Christian can only blame himself for his sin, for a justified sinner is always responsible for his own sin after conversion. You gave your heart to Christ. You trusted him with faith. You said, yes, I accept that free gift of grace through faith, and I, I, I belong to him now, and then you choose to sin. See, so many believers... So many Christians try to blame something or someone else for their sin. Well, it's the sin inside me that did it. You know, I, I hear this. That wasn't me that did that. The flesh made me do it. The devil made me do it. No, friends. We do our own sin by our own choice. And we are always, always, always responsible for it as a child of God we are responsible for our sin I'm responsible for mine and you're responsible for yours yes we trust in the grace of Jesus Christ and he paid it all on the cross but that should change some of the choices we make along the way there should be a difference 
a visible difference in our lives that others can see. You see, justification is not some legal fiction in where a person's status is changed while their character remains unchanged. It's not just our standing before God that has been declared righteous. <laughs> it's we ourselves have been radically changed and transformed by the grace of Almighty God. To talk about going back to that old life of legalism, of keeping the law, and even sinning as we please against the law, that's frankly impossible. I mean, Paul died to the legal aspects of the law and now, because he died to the legal aspects of the law, he was free to live for, for Christ. To live for God. <laughs> you know, it was through the law that Paul finally saw himself as a sinner. You know, when he was out there breathing threats, when he was out there killing people, putting them in jail because they believed in Jesus? It was when he came to grace, he saw what a sinner he has been. And folks, it's no different for us. When we recognize and accept what Christ has done for us, we see the ugliness of our own sin. We recognize that he paid that price. He, he died for us. See, the law forced Paul to seek salvation in Christ. But listen, the only way to get out from under the laws of the land is to die to the law. Think about it this way. A bank robber, he may be hunted by the police for the crime that he's committed. And as long as he is alive, the law has control over him. But if, however, he is killed, shot, while robbing a bank, then the, the law is still in force, but he is now dead. So the law has no control over him. He's free from the law in the sense that he died to the law. <laughs> it's very similar in our reunion with Christ. In our union with Christ, by our spiritual union with him, we died to the law. But notice the law didn't die. It's still there. The law still exists and it still has an effect of, of pointing out our, our damning guilt. The guilt that, 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 that condemns us. It, it, it still has the effect of judging our sinful hearts and, and condemning all breakers of the law. We know what is wrong because of God's law. It's not left to question. We understand it. We can read. We know what it says. And we know that it's wrong. It points out our sin. And the law is still in full force for the non-believer. However, we who are in Christ have died to the law. We've died to the law. The law is still there, but we have a different relationship with the law as a saved person, as someone who's been redeemed. You see, the law cannot judge or condemn us because we're in Christ. <laughs> Woo! That's good news. We're in Christ. Hallelujah. Out of the mouths of babes. See, the law can point out our sin and be a moral guide, but it cannot condemn us. The, right, the law has no right to tell me I must be justified by it. 
The law has the right to tell me I should love God with all my heart and I should love my neighbors as myself and that I should live in fidelity and temperance and patience. The law has no right to tell me how I may be delivered from sin and death and hell. But it does. That's the gospel's job. And it's the gospel's job to tell me that and I must listen to that. It tells me not what I must do, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has already done for me. I mean, Paul's whole point behind this is that so I might live for God. I died to the law so that I might live for Christ. See, legalism in every form kills the spirit of Christ. Because it comes between a person's soul and God. Freedom from legalism is the beginning of true freedom in Christ. I mean, when a person is free from legalism, he's not free to to live for himself, but he's free only to live for Jesus Christ. And freedom from the law gives Christians the liberty to live for Christ. We need to hear that. We need to understand that. We've been saved. We've been given grace. And the law points out our sin. And we ought to run to the cross and throw ourselves at the foot of the cross, claiming Jesus as our forgiveness. It should make us, I want to say, happy that we have a Savior. It's not dependent upon you, it's dependent on what Christ has already done. You know, in, in 1873, Philip Bliss, he wrote a song, and, and one of the words goes like this. It says, free from the law, oh, happy condition. <laughs> Jesus hath bled, and there is remission. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall, grace, grace hath redeemed us once for all. Once for all, O sinner, receive it. Once for all, O friend, now believe it. Cling to the cross. The burden will fall. Christ hath redeemed us once for all. Great words. See, folks, as you put your faith in Christ, you've died to the law. The justified person is dead to the law by the law. And the law of Moses, by the law of Moses, I'm dead to the law of Moses. It accuses, it terrifies, it condemns, and it causes us to run to Christ, who's the reason that we die to the law. See, the law condemned you as soon as your eyes were opened and you understood its demands. You died to the law by being redeemed from its curse through the death of Jesus Christ. And you are now living for God. Living for God. I mean, when we are justified, declared righteous before God, the process of Him building in holiness into our lives begins immediately. That sanctification process, that, that process of Him bringing holiness into our lives takes place immediately. Not that it's all completed immediately. But it begins immediately, and that transformation of our life begins to take place. See, the only way that we can have this transforming faith 
is by accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. You know, there's a lot of ways that people try to justify themselves. But Scripture tells us there's only one way you can be justified before Almighty God. And that's to accept the death of His Son for your sins and mine. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never accepted Him. Maybe you've never died to the law so that you can live to God. But I know this. When I yoked up, when I got tied up and and hooked up with Jesus, my life changed and I'm not the same person I used to be. And I will be forever thankful to God for what He has done in my heart and in my life because of Jesus Christ. You cannot go wrong with Jesus Christ. You might hear a thousand other ways to make it right with God in heaven, but His Word says this is the only way.